Hey, get your Bible out. Open it up with me to the book of Matthew uh, chapter 1. That's where we're going to be today, Matthew chapter 1. And uh, of course, this is the last week before Christmas Day. Next Sunday is Christmas. And so for some of you, this is going to be a really busy week. All right. For some of you that have not started shopping, you're going, what? Uh, this is it, you know, and you're going to be fighting out, uh, battling it out, you know, at the mall, right? Trying to get those last minute Christmas gifts. What do you mean it can't be delivered by Christmas now? You know, that's going to be you, but that's okay. You know, we're, we're going to make this work. It's going to be fine. Uh, some of you are going to be battling through, you know, just a lot of last minute parties. You're going to be uh, cleaning the house because people are going to be coming over, getting ready. So you're going to be traveling, some traveling in. You're going to have a lot of activity going on and it's all with anticipation of the day of Christmas. And, and we love that. We wouldn't have it any other way. We love Christmas. But for some, uh, Christmas carries its own special weight. Uh, and you know what I'm talking about. It, it, it bears, uh, sometimes a lot of anxiety comes with just the anticipation of it and wanting it to be perfect. And, and yet knowing that things aren't perfect, uh, maybe at home or in your family. And so it, it can create a lot of anxiety. It can create a lot of stress. It can create a lot of uh, uh, memories of Christmases in the past. Or maybe this Christmas someone's not going to be with you this year uh, for whatever reason uh, that should be with you. And so there's a lot of challenge that comes even with celebrating Christmas. And so it's just a reminder that life is a lot of highs and lows, right? I mean, there are times when life is great and we celebrate and, we're, and we love the thrill of the good things that happen and then there are the low things. I was just talking to somebody today and, and I said, man, this year has been crazy. I mean, they've, they've lost parents, you know, this year and, and yet kids have gotten engaged and married and it's like, woo, man, I'm on this roller coaster of highs and lows. That's just the way life is. And what we desperately need in a life like that is the constancy and the consistency and the faithfulness of the grace of God. We need God's grace. We need to experience God's grace, especially in times like this. And so that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the grace of God today. You know, in this series, we've, we've hit some key words describing the birth of Jesus. One word was wondrous. We looked at how the coming of Christ was full of wonder. Then last week, we talked about the word righteous and how Christ's coming makes us righteous before God. But today, I want to talk about grace and that God's grace is seen most clearly in Christmas, in the coming of Jesus Christ. And I want to see God's grace through the lens of a person who experienced a very traumatic loss and how God showed his grace in that person's life and how he shows it in our life too, all right? So Matthew chapter 1 is where we're going to be uh, today. So let's look at it together. Matthew 1, beginning of verse 18. Uh, this is the word of God, amen? <clears throat> The birth of Jesus came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. 
So her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. You know, Liz and I celebrate our 36-year wedding anniversary uh, this year, 36-year long time, and uh, we actually met when we were 10 years old. Uh, we grew up in this small little rural town in West Texas, and uh, I saw her when I was 10, I thought, I'm going to marry her. Actually, no, I didn't, but, but, it, but it's cool part of the story. Anyway, and I thought, man, awesome. And so we, we dated for a while. We got into college and uh, we decided we were going to get engaged, going to be married. And so I wanted to make it a big deal. I wanted to make it something we would always remember, always talk about. So I really went all out on this deal. I was working in Central Texas on the highway department one summer. She was working in our hometown in West Texas. And I thought, I want to really make this special. So I called up her boss and I asked for the weekend off for her so she didn't have to work and then I sent her a ticket on Southwest Airlines from Lubbock to the big city of Dallas Woo-hoo! and uh, and so she got on the plane she came down here I picked her up at the airport check this out in a stretch limo I mean, I didn't even see one of these things before until then. You know, what is this? A stretch limo, then all this stuff inside. And so I'm picking up. She's like, what is happening? We jump in the car. I've got a suit on. I got a brand new tie that I just bought. And uh, I mean, we're just living the life. We get up to the reunion arena, you know, the big ball. And uh, we jump out and we go up the elevator. And there's this line of people waiting to get in. And uh, the the, uh, hostess says, "Uh, Mr. Etheridge, this way. We go around everybody because it's cool like that. And uh, they take us right up to our seat. It's right by the window. And I mean, we're just like, this is epic. This is so awesome. Looking at the, at the city as it, as it grew dark and it was just so beautiful. And uh, I was getting nervous, man. I was really getting nervous. And uh, finally, toward the end, I, I kind of stepped out, came back with a box of flowers. All right, the white big box of flowers. And she opens it up. She's probably thinking, what is going on here? What did he do? All right, what did he do? that he's got to do all this and uh and so she opens it up and there's roses and inside one of the roses was a ring and she goes is that my ring I'm yes and then she pulls it out and I get on my knee and everybody around us just stops and I say will you marry me she says yes they applaud and cheer I mean it was amazing we fly back to our little our little town and uh, so many of our friends and family are there celebrating with us high-fiving us get our picture made It's in the paper, you know, Etheridge Heart Wedding. You know how it is in a small town. That's the way it rolls. And it was was so awesome. It was so joyful and celebrative. But if you look at Mary and Joseph's engagement, two people from a small town, it didn't work out that way for them at all. In fact, quite the opposite. It wasn't epic. It was a disaster. You see, back in those days, uh, most marriages were arranged. (coughs) Parents would arrange the marriage. Uh, Usually the husband-to-be would have to pay a pretty high price uh, to marry the daughter, which I'm all in favor of bringing that back. Like, bring that back. Bring that back. I I think think we certainly should do that. Uh, (laughs) But they had this thing, uh, this tradition called Kiddushin. It's in the Talmud, it's in the Mishnah. Kiddushin was this practice that they would enter into a legal agreement before everyone, this legal agreement that they, would to, they were to be married. 
And then for a period of time, up to a year, they would remain, they would live separate, they would remain abstinent, and they would prepare themselves for the wedding. And then there was a certain date when, when they would come together for a big celebration, and then that would be when they would finally and completely be married. But they were already legally bound uh, during this period of time. And this is the, that waiting period of time, that was the time when Mary turned up pregnant. Now, you can just imagine, even today, that'd be pretty scandalous, right? If a couple got their picture made in the hometown paper, they're engaged, and then all of a sudden she's walking around, you know, nine months, okay? That, that's gonna cause people to talk a little bit, especially if it was not his baby. Man, then they're really gonna talk. Now they're really going to have the, the rumor mill running around because what is going on and what happened and who is it and all that stuff. Now you take that times a thousand with their little town, their very religious community, and you can imagine the hurt and the uh, betrayal and the embarrassment that Joseph may have felt. I mean, you would have felt the same way, right? You would have felt all of that. The anger. You know what's interesting to me though, every time I read this story, uh, th there is no mention of Joseph's emotions. It doesn't say that Joseph was really angry or Joseph threw a clay pot against the wall or you know, you know so whatever, you know. It doesn't say any of that. You know what it says? It only mentions the fact that Joseph was concerned for Mary. That he, he didn't want her to be publicly humiliated. That he, he was trying to figure this thing out. Because he loved her. And, and in his mind, the only way that he could somehow make sense of all of this or to do what was best for her and, and to protect her would be to just, just dissolve the relationship quietly and, and let the two of them go their own way. Let them just go their separate ways. And so this is what is going through Joseph's mind. And listen, it's a great reminder to us that many times life doesn't work out the way we think. Would you agree with that? Life does not always work out the way we had hoped, the way we planned, the way that we think. Sometimes you think, man, I'm going to be here and then in my career and then, uh, and then you're not. Uh, we're going to have baby by this time and, and the, the child doesn't come. Or I'm going to be married by this age and, and you haven't still met that right person. Maybe your husband or wife breaks your heart or maybe your children make choices that continually are painful or whatever the case may be. Life is messy. Life is really messy. You know, I think about, uh, I, I'm so happy, by the way, that Christmas cards haven't died yet, all right? We've received several Christmas cards. Thank you for sending us Christmas We love it. I love, we keep them. I mean, we look at them. I mean, it's, it, we love Christmas cards. I thought pretty much Facebook would like destroy Christmas cards forever, but it hasn't. They're still eking out of survival, all right? And that's a cool thing. But whenever you look at a Christmas card, everybody looks what? Perfect. Right? I mean, they just look great. Even when you read the little letter, we, we won this award and we did that. And we did this. Everything's amazing. But we know that life is not like it looks on the Christmas card. That life is messy and, and we, we, we go through stuff we don't even want people to know about. And that's why we need the grace of God. Because life is messy and we are messy people and we need God's grace 
to sustain us in it and help us through it. And, and Joseph here is going to experience God's grace in a very powerful way. And in a way that shows how you and I receive the grace of God when we're in our darkest moments. So I want to give you uh, uh, four ways that we receive the grace of God. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down. Four ways we receive the grace of God at Christmas. All right? If you need the grace of God, here are ways that God shows you his grace. Number one, he gives you the grace to see that God's at work. First, it's the grace to see God at work. Look at verse 20. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. I'm sure that Joseph went to bed that night with questions in his mind. God, why is this happening? God, how could this happen? God, what did I do wrong that, that I deserve this? Or, or why, why would you allow this? If you love me, why would you allow this embarrassment and this hurt to come on me? I'm sure his mind was racing a million questions as he laid on his bed that night. And as he fell asleep, Joseph had a visitation. An angel from God came to him and the message from God was very simple and it was something like this. I'm going to paraphrase it. Hey, Joseph, I'm in this. Joseph, I am at work here. Joseph, you don't understand it, but I am doing something in your midst. I'm doing something in your life that you may feel like is out of control right now, but it is not out of control. I am in this. Listen, God's greatest work in our lives oftentimes is disguised as impossible situations. God's greatest work is often disguised as impossible situations. Think about it, Sarah's childless crisis. Gideon's outnumbered crisis. Nahum's got leprosy, crisis. Uh, Jonah's on the run, crisis. Moses got his back up against the, the Red Sea with, with armies coming, crisis. Every one of those seemed like a crisis where they could have said, God, why did you allow this to happen to me? And yet, as we know the rest of the story, we see that God was a word behind the scenes in every one of those situations to do something that was amazing. And that's what God does in our lives too. We don't see the end of the story yet. That's why it's called walking by what? Faith, right? Because we don't see the end of the story, but we know that God is at work even when we don't see him. You see, we developed a reflex. And, and the reflex is kind of like what, what your arm is. If you hit your arm, right, you, you'll pull back, hit your knee. If you touch something hot, you'll recoil. If you hurt your hand, you'll pull back. And we, we developed this reflex where if we experience something that's painful, we pull back. We pull back from God. We pull back from his word. We pull back from godly people. We, we retreat. We recoil. And I think maybe that's what Joseph was doing here. I mean, he's just, he probably just pushed everybody out. He's trying to figure this thing out on his own. He's laying on his bed at night, trying to figure this thing out. And the only way he can see out is just to destroy this relationship and walk away. And what he needs to be reminded is, hey, Joseph, I'm in this. I'm at work. You can't see it, but I am at work. Is it possible? That in what you see is a crisis, 
God's at work? Is it possible that maybe you don't see really what God's doing or you don't see the chain of events that's coming, but that God, through your circumstance, that God may be at work? Is it really true when the scripture says God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose? Is it possible that God's at work? And, and so if it is, then what you've got to do is say, God, give me the grace to see where you're at work. You know, sometimes we don't see it all, but sometimes we see some of it, right? Sometimes we're, we're allowed to see some of what God is doing. And Joseph was allowed to see just a glimpse that God was at work in a miraculous way. So one of the ways God shows grace, he shows how he is at work. Another way that God shows us grace uh, at Christmas time is he gives us the grace to trust God's plan. The, the grace to trust God's plan. Look at verse 21. It says, she will give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Joseph learned that this birth was actually not a mistake. It was actually a part of a bigger plan that God was, was working out. This plan that had always uh, been. You know, it's interesting when you think about this plan. This plan doesn't really seem to make a whole lot of sense. Uh, you know, there's a song that says, it's a crazy way to save the world. And I just love that lyric because it's so true. It's not a way that you and I, not a plan you and I would have created. That's how we know it's from God. Because we wouldn't have created the plan this way. Think about what it cost Joseph. I mean, here he is a righteous man. Had a great reputation as a righteous and just man. And now his reputation soiled. Right? I mean, if he marries Mary, then who knows? Maybe that really was his baby. Or if it wasn't, then he married uh, this kind of girl. So he's, he's never going to quite be the same. Think about Mary, what it costs Mary. She, uh, she's always going to be the girl that came pregnant, you know, in that time period. She's always going to be uh, the one receiving those looks of condemnation. Those looks of disappointment. Her, her pregnancy is always going to be one surrounded by shame and question, and suspicion. I mean, she never got her big wedding. She never, uh, she never got her big uh, uh, shower, right, for a baby shower. That what was supposed to be a time of celebration and joy and, and family gathered around and honor became something that uh, everybody just wanted to ignore. It's interesting, there was no recorded celebration in Nazareth at the birth of Jesus. Why did God do that? Why this way? The truth of the matter is we don't really know why. But we do know it was a part of God's bigger plan. That this was not a mistake. This was all on purpose. We know this because we know that Jesus was born at the right time. Galatians 4, 4 says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. Jesus was born at the exact right time in history. Jesus was born in the exact right way. Isaiah 7, 14 said, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and you will call him Emmanuel. Jesus was born in exactly the right place. Micah 5, 2 says he will be born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem means the house of bread. Think about it, Jesus who said, I am the bread of life, born in the house of bread. The right place, the right time, uh, the, in the right way, literally all the stars aligned, right? For the birth of Jesus Christ, this was no mistake. It was a masterpiece. It was God's plan and God's purpose. And Joseph had a part in it. Oh, yeah. 
Joseph had a part in it. Psalm 9, verse 10. I love this verse. This verse is for somebody here today. Psalm 9, verse 10. Those who know your name trust in you because you have not abandoned those who seek you. I love that. Those who know your name trust in you because you have not abandoned those who seek you. That's a verse for anyone that says, God, do you really have a plan for my life? Because this plan seems terrible. This plan isn't working out. But one of the ways God shows us grace is to remind us, hey, I'm at work and I have a plan for your life. No, not everything is good, but I am working all things together for good if you'll trust me in it. God gives us grace. Grace to see he's at work, grace to see he has a plan. Let me give you uh, one more. He also gives us grace to experience his presence. Grace to experience God's presence. Look at verse 22. I love this part. Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God is with us. I want you underline that those phrase, uh, those three words, God with us. These are three words of hope. God with us. What God was saying to Joseph in his despondency, in his questions, in his disappointment, in the failure of it all, he was saying, Joseph, listen, I, I'm at work here. I have a plan, but listen, I'm with you. I am with you. I am with you. And folks, that's all we need. We don't need answers. Hey, if you're waiting for all the answers before you get to heaven, you're going to be disappointed. Amen? Because God's not going to give you all the answers. You may not see all of this, the tapestry that he's weaving until you're on the other side. But he is with you even now. I was talking with a couple, a young family that's in our church and that Liz and I love and uh, they, a couple of weeks ago, they, they shot, shot me a text that said that their daughter, their young daughter, uh, is having seizures. And so they, of course, were terrified about this and what it would mean. They went to the doctor and now they're ordering scans and, and they just said, please pray, please pray. For about two weeks, I mean, they're just battling the fear and the anxiety and the worry of what might be, what they might be facing. And uh, I talked to them multiple times and prayed. And they called me this week and they said, uh, hey, good news. There, there was nothing terrible on the scans. And so we're so thankful for that. Praise God. And so we celebrated, thank the Lord together. And then I asked them, I said, now listen, how have you experienced the grace of God? How have you experienced his presence with you in this whole ordeal? And she sent me a text, and I, I just want to read you just a little statement out of it that I thought was really poignant. She said, God isn't passive in his nearness, just waiting, watching us suffer and doing nothing to help us. He is active as he comforts and hears and protects. 
I just thought, that's so true, isn't it? God's not just passive sitting back there. You know, I'm present, but I'm not doing much to help you. No, I'm actively engaged in comforting and restoring and healing and protecting and going before and going behind and guiding you through it all the way. I thought about that this week. You know, actually, our, there have been several of our staff that have gone through some really challenging things this last year. And uh, I was thinking about this family. I was thinking about them. I was praying for, for them. And I was thinking about the words, God with us. And one night I couldn't sleep. And so I began to just write what God was putting on my heart. And I want to read this to you. Simply called God with us. Adam with God in the cool of the morning. There was no fear, no shame, no loss, no mourning. In those days, there was no curse. God was with us. But sin separated. God was removed. And from that day forward, his spirit pursued. In Abraham's vision and Sarah's laughter. In Joseph's dream and Jacob's ladder, God came near, revealing his heart for the wayward, the hurting, the lonely, the lost. He moved toward us in plagues and the slaves set free. He moved toward us in the desert with manna to eat. He moved toward us on the mountain, his law etched in stone. When the walls fell down and prophets stood alone, God was moving toward us. But he never moved closer than on that one night, angels declaring, a star shining bright, and we saw his glory, the glory of the sun, full of grace and truth. Yes, he was the one. He came to us in swaddling clothes, penetrating questions, baptismal waters, healing touches, graceful words, the pursuit of sinners. He prayed in the garden. Absorbing the blows, the nails and the cross were something he chose. Praying into your hands, I commit my spirit. God was with us, but we couldn't see it. The sky drew black. The graves gave up their dead. The sheep scattered and fear turned to dread. But as night changed to morning, the king of glory came. Death could not hold him for he rose from the grave. Yes, you see, God is with us is not just a phrase. It's a promise we stand on still today. He is with us in change. When life moves to new places, new addresses, new school, new people, new faces. Even when life is in constant motion, he remains the same. Even when life is in constant commotion, he is with us in the change. He is with us in trouble. When our hearts churn, when anxiety causes our hearts to burn, stress in our shoulders, our stomach in knots, and our troubled minds are filled with troubled thoughts. Even there, God is with us. He hasn't left. Speaking peace be still with every breath. He is with us in death when life suddenly ends. When time is gone, no chance for amends. Even there with tears falling down, yes, God is with us, sustaining us now.
You see, God is with us. He never leaves. No matter the trouble, he intercedes for those who are his, the sheep of his fold. Yes, God is with us. Let this settle your soul. God is with us. You're secure in his hands. No change, no trouble, not even death can rip you from his presence. And one day we'll see that God will be with us eternally. God is with you. He hasn't left. And part of the grace of God is experiencing his presence in the struggle and in the questions. Joseph experienced grace on that first Christmas. Grace to know that God's at work. Grace to know that God has a plan. Grace to know that God is with him. But that's not even all. Let me show you one more. It's found in these last couple of verses. Look at verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did as the, Lord, the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son and he named him Jesus. Joseph received God's grace to serve God's greater plan. God's grace to serve God's greater plan. It, those last verses seem so simple, right? He woke up and he did what God told him to do. Seems so simple, end of story, but it wasn't that easy. He had the struggle, he had the challenges, he had the questions that continued to swirl over his whole life. But he also had the privilege of being on the front row to see the miraculous work of God in the Messiah coming into the world. And listen, obedience is a work of the grace of God. Not you or I even want to obey God, much less can we obey God, except for his grace. In fact, that's exactly what Philippians 2 says when it says, for it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. So here's a good, here's a big question. What has God called you to do? Ask God for the grace to do it. What has God said before you? Ask God to give you the grace to go through it. What has God called you to do to, to contribute to the gospel and to, and to the, the, the making of disciples of the nations? Then do it in the grace of God while you have the chance to do it. That's the grace of God. God's grace has given for messy people with messy lives. People with past, people that have messed up, people that don't deserve, people that are hurting, people that are questioning, people with doubts. If that describes you, then God's grace is for you. That's why Jesus came. He came to give you his grace. I want you to bow your heads with me for just a minute. And I want to close with this question. What grace do you need from God today? What grace do you need from God today? Do you need God's grace to forgive? God's grace to endure? God's grace to serve him? God's grace in your doubts? Do you need God's grace when things aren't making sense? What grace do you need from God today?
then why don't you ask him for it? Because that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to show us his grace. So take a minute and just seek the Lord. Ask God to give you his grace for whatever season of life you're walking through right now. Father, I thank you for your grace. Grace that covers our sin. Grace that forgives. Grace that restores. Grace that makes us new in Jesus. Grace that saves. But Lord, I also thank you that that your grace doesn't stop at the boundary of salvation, but your grace extends even beyond into our life as we walk with you. And that today your grace is abundant, overflowing, never-ending, constant, consistent, faithful. And Lord, you know the need of every heart today. You know where we need your grace. So Lord, I pray that your unmerited favor, your goodness and grace shown us in Jesus would flood into those areas that are hurting, that are doubting, that are struggling. God, remind us that you came to show us your grace. And Lord, I pray that as we anticipate Christmas Day and all the joy that comes with it, Lord, help us remember that you came to a messy stable and a, and a messy manger because you came to messy lives. Lives that are not perfect, God. To show us in that mess your grace and your goodness. So Lord, we thank you. We love you. And we worship you now. In Jesus' name.